from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fight for Good Podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley. We're recording here at National Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. We thank you for taking a few moments of your beautiful day. We hope it's a beautiful day that you're having uh, to join us for this very special podcast. Here with me in our studio is our War Cry Editorial Director, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Hello, Colonel. Good to see you. As always, sir, you have a voice and a face for podcasts. <laughs> that's that's oh, in the script. I just read oh, that from our producer. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> I'm going to pin that up on my bulletin board. <laughs> also here with us is our producer, Elizabeth. Hello. How are you this afternoon? I'm so super swell. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you are always so super swell. We appreciate all that you do in helping to put these podcasts together. And we hope that you enjoy this one coming up because it's a very, very special one. We are sharing an interview that you, Jeff, and Elizabeth participated in. So exciting. That's great. I'm so, I'm so, because you really enjoy this person. I do. Yeah. Well, this interview is the... The uh, what? What was the word you used to describe him? I said venerable. Venerable. The word. I mean, he's such a distinguished author. He's his five love languages books have been translated into so many different languages and have different spinoffs. Have made a big impact on relationships. He's he's affected so many people. Yeah. Well, who we're talking about is Dr. Gary Chapman, and. You're going to hear both Jeff and Elizabeth asking him questions? That's correct. What was what was the question you asked him? Oh, my golly. What did I ask him? You asked him, what do you do, for instance, oh, yes. if you try to communicate, Ooh. but Ooh. It, you oh. can't get... What, if you, what happens if you communicate in the person's apology language, but they don't accept the apology? What do you do? Yes, because the apology language is his new right. book. Yeah. Yes. When sorry isn't enough. Well, uh, you go shopping. <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you glad you didn't interview me i would love to hear your take on this let's just have a well i'm a not going, podcast I, I am not touching it i'm a doctor but not that kind of doctor so i'm a doctor of the soul not the doctor of the head yeah so, yeah me neither i don't pledge that, that elizabeth is, brought this to our attention because oh. he wrote a book um things i wish i'd known before we got married mm-hmm. he was very honest and open about what he the blunders he made when he was first married and mm-hmm. pointing out things that people should know upon entering marriage so they're prepared. I could probably write a book like that. I'm sure you could. <laughs> I, my wife and I will be celebrating 35 years coming That's up. Incredible. Uh, That's incredible. That's great. Years. She doesn't look like she's older than you know 25. But True. You know. <laughs> uh, neither do you. Yeah. Well, look at that. It's good. It's time for you to get some new glasses. I could see. <laughs> Well, with that, we want you to pay attention in, uh, to this interview with Gary Chapman by our own Jeff and Elizabeth. And I have to ask to, to start, how do you define love, particularly as it applies to dating and marriage? 
Well, I think we have to recognize there's really two kinds of love. There is there there is the experience that we typically call falling in love, which is very euphoric, which doesn't require a lot of effort. It's just something that grabs you. It's it's a, it's a it's a romantic relationship. It stirs the emotions. Uh, the other person in your eyes seems to be the most wonderful person in the world. You just can hardly wait to be with them forever. Uh, and then the average lifespan of that euphoric experience is about two years. Some a little longer, some a little less, but average two years. Then we come down off the high. And that's where love has to become much more intentional. Uh, I remember meeting a young gal in the airport, and she was engaged, and she was going to see her fiancé, who was in the military. And uh, she asked me what I did. I said, well, I, I do marriage counseling, help people work on their marriage. She said, why do you have to work on the marriage? Yeah. <laughs> and I knew she was in the in love stage, okay? Yeah. But after that, you do have to work. It, it It's intentional. And that's where the five love languages becomes very, very helpful because it lets you know how to express love in a way that's meaningful to the other person emotionally. And I think that's why that book has been so popular is because it does help people effectively keep emotional love alive in the relationship once you come down off the high. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Is it best for people dating or considering marriage that successful couples have many similar interests and traits in common? You know, the old saying is that opposites attract yeah, they and do. There's some there's some truth to that for sure. Yes, indeed. But, but the fact is, all of us are opposites. We're none of us are the same. Uh, so I don't think that we have to have all those personality traits in common. I think what's important is that we understand those traits, and if you can understand them before you get married, which you can if you give attention to it, then you're better prepared on how to handle those differences once you get married. Uh, you know, I was not, we were not, uh, you know, uh, we were not involved in that process before we got married. For example, I'm a morning person. Mm-hmm. My wife's a night person. And before we got married, I had this dream of, you know, we'll get married, we'll have breakfast together, we'll have devotions together, we'll pray in the morning, and we'll start our day off together. I got married, and I found out she didn't wake up till 10, you know. <laughs> she got up, but she didn't wake up, you know. <laughs> yep. So we had to rethink that whole thing, you know. And so uh, I think the more we can understand personality differences before we get married and what the implications are in terms of our lifestyle, uh, the better it's going to be. But any couple, whatever the difference is personality-wise, can learn to have a good marriage. It's just you want to make those differences assets rather than liabilities. You, know, you, you, uh, the institution of marriage, of course, is changing, given the number of children of divorce, the changing roles of men and women, new attitudes towards gender and childbearing. Um, what are you seeing as the, uh, you know, current dilemmas that young people are facing in terms of marriage? Well, I think with all of the diverse ideas related to marriage today, uh, we have not come up with a better plan than the biblical plan. One man, one woman in a covenant relationship with each other for a lifetime. That gives the best possible uh, uh, 
that gives the best possible circumstance, environment, in which to raise healthy children. Uh, and, and all the research indicates that, that children who grow up in homes where the mom and dad are with each other for a lifetime, they're loving, supportive, caring for each other, it creates an atmosphere where a child can grow up and be emotionally healthy. Uh, other concepts of uh, other approaches to marriage with, and with the high divorce rate we have in our country, again, we know children who grow up and their parents divorce have emotional struggles. It's just a fact. All the research indicates that. And this is not to put down people who are divorced. They are where they are. You know, all of us are where we are. But wherever we are, the more we can come back to the biblical concept of marriage, the better it's going to be not only for us, but for our culture and for our children. So, you know, that's why I have such a passion for wanting to help couples wherever they are uh, to have the kind of marriage they wanted to have when they got married, you know, and, and that's loving and supportive and working together as a team and accomplishing great things for God and good in the world. Uh, and and when we can have that kind of marriage and that kind of family, uh, there's great satisfaction that comes out of that. You, you know, your your ministry is just so wonderful and touches so many people. Um, you're doing such a great work. It, it's it's so needed, and we real we really appreciate it. Um, you emphasize that forgiveness does not erase memory. And you call partners to reach a high level of intentionality in their relationship. How is one to deal with hurtful memories? And how can couples avoid falling into well-worn habits and patterns of behavior? Well, I think uh, we will not have long-term healthy marriages without apologizing and forgiving. And the reason I say we will not is because none of us are perfect. You don't have to be perfect to have a good marriage, but you do have to deal with your failures. And that means we have to be honest when we do fail, apologize, and then we choose to forgive. Forgiveness essentially is lifting the penalty. It's pardoning them. I'm not going to make you pay for what you did to me. It's, it's a pardon. It's, it's removing the barrier, emotional barrier between the two of us so that our relationship can go forward. Uh, but having it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision we make. But having forgiven does not destroy the memory. Everything we've ever experienced in life is stored in the human brain. And from time to time, it jumps from the subconscious mind back to the conscious mind. And when you remember what they did to you, the emotions come back. The hurt, the anger, the disappointment, or whatever, it comes back. And what I say is, what do you do with that? You take it to God, and you say, Lord, you know what I'm remembering today, and you know what I'm feeling again, but I thank you that I forgave that. Now help me to do something good today. And you don't allow the memory and the emotions to control your behavior, because if you do, you will lash out at your spouse, you'll, you'll, you'll move away from the pardon, and you'll try to make them pay for what they did, make them feel badly for what they did. Uh, but if we do something positive, then the emotions begin to subside, and the memory will fade. And the longer you are away from the event that happened, the less 
often those memories will turn will come back. But they can come back at any juncture. But we treat them for what they are, a memory with emotions. But they don't have to control our behavior. Before we get back to the conversation with Colonel Foley, I just want to take a moment to talk about Peer Magazine. Peer is a Salvation Army youth publication for 16 to 22-year-olds. By addressing topics related to faith, community, and culture, Peer ignites a conversation that deepens biblical perspective, faith, and holy living. Peer is a monthly magazine that comes directly to your mailbox for free almost every month. Just visit peermag.org to subscribe. Again, that's peermag.org. All right. So as a 20-something, I have found your books to be such great guidance when navigating relationships. Um, What would you say is the biggest pitfall couples are making that cause their relationships to suffer or fail? If I had to summarize it in one word, it would be selfishness. We are by nature self-centered. Now, there's a good part to that. That means we feed ourselves, we get sleep, we get exercise, we take care of ourselves. But when that self-centeredness becomes selfishness, so that I view the relationship in terms of what am I getting out of this, then we're on the road to trouble. Because this is where people get to the place where they say, I'm just not happy in this relationship, so I'm going to go somewhere else and look for happiness. So... I think I think at the root of whatever the surface problem is, at the root, is a, is selfishness. I'm looking at this relationship in terms of what am I getting out of it, rather than how am I contributing to the well-being of my spouse, which is love. Love is the opposite of selfishness. And, and love is the most powerful influencer in the world for good. There's nothing more powerful you can do for anyone than to love them unconditionally. And in marriage, to me, it's loving them unconditionally, no matter how they treat you. But you're also loving them in their love language so that your love is getting through to them emotionally. And we can't change our spouse, but we can influence our spouse. And love is the greatest positive influence we can have. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So on the flip side of that, um, what is the best thing that someone can do to help a relationship succeed? Well, I think uh, I think two, two, maybe three things are essential. Uh, one is what we've talked about all along, and that is keeping love alive in the relationship, keeping uh, the emotional love alive. That is meeting the emotional need for love. Uh, that's one. That's one of the essentials. I think the other essential we talked about also, and that is dealing with our failures, being willing and open and honest about our failures and apologizing and then choosing to forgive. And I think a third would be learning to manage our anger in a positive way. All humans experience anger. I believe it's because we're made in the image of God. The Bible says God is angry every day with the wicked, Psalm 7:11. We're angry, I think, because we're made in God's image and we have a concern for right. And when our sense of right is violated, we feel angry. So... Emotion, the emotion of anger is not a sin. That's why the Bible says when you are angry, don't sin. It's easy to sin when you're angry. I think mismanaged anger has destroyed thousands of marriages, hurt many children, and uh, and, and, bre- and breaks many friendships. So I think those three things, uh, to me, are, are three powerful essentials to having a healthy relationship. 
That is so interesting. Thank you for that. Um, and I think you might have touched on this a little bit, but what do you say to a person who says, my partner never apologizes for anything, not even in I'm sorry? Well, I think if you understand, as I said earlier, that there are about 10% of the people for whom that is true, and probably the reason is that they were taught not to apologize. So if they understand that, that, that we all have an idea about apology uh, that we got in childhood. And so if, they're, if they don't apologize, it's probably because that they were taught that or they never saw their parents or heard their parents apologize. So they have no model. And so rather than condemning them for not apologizing, we need to talk about, you know, why why this is. Where did this come from that we don't apologize? And if the two of you if can't help can can't understand each other and make changes, then this is where counseling can can become very helpful, because we have to learn to apologize. We're not going to have a long term healthy relationship without learning to apologize. So, uh, but I think understanding uh, where this came from can help the person whose spouse is not apologizing to be a little more empathetic with them rather than condemning them. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, Now, here's another situation for you. So what happens when you don't think that you're wrong and someone else takes an innocent comment or action the wrong way and now they're upset um, and they express an apology, but you don't think there's anything to apologize for? What do you do? Well, I often have men say to me, uh, how can I how can I say I was wrong when I don't think I was wrong? Okay? <laughs> I, say, I say, okay. Now, let, let's, let's not limit our apology to doing something morally wrong. Let's think in terms of my behavior hurt them. So in that sense, it's wrong. So, okay, so it's not a sin. But it's moral. It, but it, but it hurt the relationship. So that's how I can still say I was wrong. Should not have done that. I sometimes give this illustration in my own life. Um, I'd been out of town for I don't know two or three days, and uh, while I was gone, my wife had one of our chairs reupholstered. Uh, actually, it was delivered while I was gone. And I came home, and I was sitting in that chair the next morning, and she walked in and said, "Honey, how do you like the new cover?" And without even thinking. I said, well, honey, I like it, but to be honest, I like the old color better. And she broke into tears. Oh, I can't no. believe you don't like it. I spent two months going all over town trying to find out <laughs> yeah, that there's something that you would like, and now you don't like it. <laughs> now, what I said was not a sin, mm-hmm. but what I said was wrong, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so I apologize. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't think. I was just crazy out of it, you know. Because I do like it, honey, and, you know, and, and obviously she forgave me. But uh, so I try to help particularly men understand, don't don't get hung up on the fact that what you've done was not morally wrong. If it hurt the relationship, then in that sense it's wrong, and we need to be able to admit that I was wrong. Yeah, thank you. That's such helpful advice. Um, and so our last question here, um, is it possible to apologize in the recipient's apology language and then have them not forgive? Um, and if so, what do you do? Well, forgiveness is a choice. Uh, we cannot make someone forgive us. It's a choice. I said earlier, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice to remove the barrier, to pardon them, not to make them pay for this the rest of their life. It's a choice. 
Obviously, if we apologize, we want the person to forgive us because that's why we're apologizing. But forgiveness is a choice. And so I say to people, don't try to force your spouse to forgive you. Don't even quote the scripture to them and say, well, the Bible says if you don't forgive me, God won't forgive you. Okay, that's true. (laughs) But give them time to work through their emotions. They're deeply hurt. And if they're deeply hurt, your apology doesn't take away that hurt. And they're wrestling with it. It may take them a few hours or maybe a day or two before they can honestly say, okay, honey, I'm I'm choosing to forgive you. So don't try to force them. Give them time to work through their emotions so that when they do make the decision to forgive you, it'll be a conscious decision that they are making. That was Dr. Gary Chapman. Well, that was a refreshing and fun interview that you both had. And I like that that uh, interchange uh, that was going on. As you've mentioned, he's very well spoken. He obviously is somebody that's been interviewed quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. over time. Jeff, you, uh, in the article uh, in the War Cry, the February issue of the War Cry, it just starts out, it's intentional. And that's another big word of, of mine um, that that I love. Uh, what, what, what were, what, what do you think he was you know, really getting at here in the gist of his article and in the interview. He was really, um, I think, putting into practice the kind of love that God calls us to in that couples don't really comprehend fully how to approach one another so that they're heard and seen, you know, mutually. And he, from his experience, he's seen that um, in action so often and he's helped people people build that bridge between them and move beyond a self-oriented life to a collective life a, a life of communion with the spouse so I think uh, and he has very practical uh, recommendations for how to get there so we appreciate you taking a few moments again for listening to this special edition of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer magazine on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Well, I think that sums it all up. So until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. Bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.